Today we are discussing transport. We're not, however, looking at things like buses and trains as we normally do, but we are speaking with the Community Transport Association. We're looking at uh, help for patients travelling to uh, medical appointments. Now, James Cole is with us from CTA. James, thank you for joining us. Hello, Alan. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about the organisation itself. So the Community Transport Association is the umbrella body for the providers of community transport up and down the country. We have around 1,600 members who typically provide accessible inclusive transport to trips such as hospital appointments, um, social events, out to the shops, and everything in between. We exist to promote inclusive accessible transport. We support our members in the work they do. And generally, we try and build a transport network that allows more people to get to where they need to be. Okay, so you work with um, transport operators themselves. Does that mean perhaps advising or assisting bus companies or perhaps people who who struggle to get proper or regular transport? So we do a mix of things. We support community transport operators through our advice, through training and through events where they can get in touch and we'll support them in running their service. But on a broader level, we put out ideas that we think will help make our transport network more accessible and inclusive. So just recently, you may have seen some of our work on the bus services bill, which I spoke about a few weeks ago. But on top of that, we put out things like responses to the budget, we put out policy statements, all in the aim of trying to build our transport network where more people can get to where they need to be. Indeed, our listeners are um, very interested, in fact, James, in the, the bill going through Parliament right. at the moment because uh, contained within that is looking at provision for operators to provide uh, talking or audio-visual services on, on all the new buses, so very relevant, really. Yeah, definitely, and I think one of the things that we've been really keen in the bus services bill is to talk about how it allows more people to access bus services at the moment. So a lot of the discussion has been around franchising, around how bus services are organised, but what we've been really keen to emphasise is that any successful bus network is one that allows more people to access services, people who may be excluded from the bus service at the, at the moment, to be able to access them. And also looking at things around uh, audio-visual equipment, around accessibility of services, and around the use of data that allows people to plan in a more coherent way. Okay, now something which I probably wouldn't have thought of, um, not that it's not important, this is, but, but um, when it comes to things like community transport, etc., is, is assistance for people when, when they're travelling for medical appointments, etc. Yeah, it's been really interesting to bring that up, actually. I was speaking to a member this morning who works in partnership with their local Age UK branch, and one of the things that they've been working on at the moment is not only getting people to and from medical appointments, but also when they go home, having someone there who can take them into their home, who can provide many support they may need there. Of course, many community transport operators also have passenger assistants who provide that service you just described, so helping people to and from transport and help them whilst they're on the vehicles. What about then in terms of patients, so people going to and from hospital? I'm sure people are probably familiar with getting help through their perhaps local NHS trust when it comes to providing drivers, it may be taxis, it may be you know ambulance services, minibuses and so on. Is that a reliable service or indeed is it a service that's getting more and more demand placed on it? So I think it's a really interesting topic. The provision of health transport is really mixed. There's a plurality of provision that is between taxi services, in-house fleets, uh, private organisations and community transport. And if I can just touch on briefly some of the stuff that we've been looking at, 
I know we spoke last time about the provision of total transport, which is the idea you can commission things in a more logical and joined-up way. What we're really keen to explore is how do people access hospital transport in a way that's timely and can get them to and from hospital in the best way, which is this report which we're discussing later today. And presumably finance comes into that as well because that service has to be paid for. Yeah, of course it does. And we think there is the opportunity to use uh, transport more efficiently and more joined up. We think this will save costs because you'll have less empty vehicles. We'll also mean that people get the most suitable vehicles for their needs, so people aren't over-prescribing services. So how, how will this work? How will you look at the, uh, you know, the service as a whole and perhaps suggest changes? So I think there's a few areas that are worth exploring there. I think one of the things we are really interested in is how pooled budgets can be used more effectively. So this is looking at how vehicle fleets could span current NHS provision, social services, education and mainstream public transport where vehicles could be used across multiple uses. We know at the moment that the cost to the NHS of missed hospital appointments is about £750 million per year, and a survey of patient transport users in London found that 37% had missed an appointment due to patient transport in the last two years. If we could prevent just 10% of the 5.6 million missed hospital appointments, that would save the NHS around £74.5 million a year. We think that's a significant saving, but potentially more importantly, we think where patients can access transport that's suited to their needs, they can get them to hospital and away from hospital quickly, they also receive a better level of care, which we think is really important. It sounds like this isn't really just a question of how much money is spent on the service, although that is crucial, you know, monitoring budgets and so on, but it, it seems it's more using it in a better way. Yeah, and one of the things we find at the moment is that many people who need help into hospital fall outside current non-emergency patient transport eligibility criteria. We think a better system would see many more needs met through a range of services differentiated by the assistance people require. And we know that commissioners have these powers to work together to design and procure such integration and collaboration, which will not only make savings for their own budgets, but will give people the transport they deserve and that they need to improve their own well-being. So how will, will this research or these discussions work then, James, and, and how long are they expected to take? So we launched the report a few weeks ago, and we've already seen a lot of interest in it, a lot of reports. And we've started to have some of those conversations around what would an ideal system look like. One of the things that we're doing shortly is in the coming months, we're publishing a further report that will look specifically at the provision of non-emergency patient transport. What we're really interested in, and your listeners maybe also, is hearing case studies and examples of where non-emergency patient transport has worked well, where there's room for improvement or what they think the system should look like. It's an interesting sort of transport service, if you like, because we yeah. don't often think about it, James, but I think you know, you're talking about the service providers being involved in a discussion, but getting the service users involved as well is a great step forward. Yeah, and we're always really keen that any work we do, the lived experience of the people who need to access transport is at heart of that. And I think potentially more than a lot of transport, the thing with non-emergency patient transport is, you're not as aware of the provision on a day-to-day -day service in a lot of cases. Obviously, some people repeat treatments will be, but it's one of those where it is potentially the most important form of transport because you're often in a case where you need to get medical assistance or away from medical assistance. So I think speaking to patients who've experienced that is really important, that the system we design is successful, integrated, collaborative, and accessible and inclusive. James, if people would like to learn more about the, the association or perhaps even take part in this uh, particular piece of research, how can they get in touch? 
So there's a few ways that we'd love people to be involved. I think, first of all, if you can visit our blog, www.ctablog.org, they can follow us on Twitter, which is at CTAUK1. Or alternatively, they could drop us an email at info at ctauk.org. What we'd be really interested in is once people have had a chance to read the blog, follow us on Twitter, if they could get in touch, see any ideas that resonate with them. And of course, we'd encourage people to read the report. This can be found on our blog, which I spoke about the link earlier, or I can provide further information once someone's had an opportunity to email. James, it'll be interesting to find out uh, what the findings are going to be with this. Uh, but for the moment, James Cole, thank you for speaking with us on RNIB Connect Radio. Thank you very much.